Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back into Iggy Sports Talk. I'm your host, Jiggy Nazuski, or Iggy for short. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this episode. This is your first time watching or listening to Iggy Sports Talk. In each and every single episode, I shed light on the mental aspects of sports and life. And today, I'm going to be speaking about the Super Bowl, which is one of the biggest events of all of the year. But I feel like most people look at the media coverage, the X's and O's, and don't really think about the mental side of the game and the pressure that comes with not only playing in the Super Bowl, but just in the NFL playoffs in general. And I have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Kerry Hastings, who's a licensed clinical and sports psychologist and is the current team psychologist for the Los Angeles Rams and Angel City football team. Dr. Hastings is a former Division I athlete herself and is a graduate of University of Notre Dame, where she captained the track team as a hurdler and sprinter, and she has a passion for normalizing help-seeking behavior among athletes and promoting a total wellness. But she also was a part of the Super Bowl team in 2018 with the Rams, where they lost to the Patriots, and also won a Super Bowl with the Rams in 2021. So she did a great job of not only shedding light on those mental aspects that come with playing in the Super Bowl, but also how she helps the athletes, not only for the Los Angeles Rams, but also for the Angel City football team to really find their identity outside of the game of football and not allow the pressure of some of these big games to dictate how they play on the field as well as how they validate and value themselves. But without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Dr. Hastings. How are we doing today, Carrie? Doing fantastic, Jake. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I really appreciate you taking the time and especially as we're getting closer to the Super Bowl and you know, over the last month or so, the NFL playoffs have been going on and I feel like so many times we hear the media only talking about the X's and O's or just the scores and the statistics. But I, I think a lot of people forget about the mental side that goes into these different games, especially with the pressure, with the amount of money that that goes into all these big events. And um, I'm curious just to start off, um, how different is it for the mental, mental preparation for the players from a regular season game to the playoffs or a Super Bowl game? Well, and that's a great question. It's it's not much different in terms of the internal preparation and individual pre preparation in terms of playing um, and pregame routine. What's different is the stage. And so it's helping players prepare for bigger, louder crowds. Um, if they are not in their home stadium, whatever you know, that stadium is known for in terms of just logistics, in terms of weather. Um, and so just helping them anticipate potential curveballs um, because you can't block out the those higher stakes. So mm -hmm. it's just knowing how to kind of incorporate them and then manage them. That makes sense. And, you know, you were a part of the Super Bowl winning team, you know, in 21, as well as, you know, the, the Super Bowl team in 2018, where they, where they fell to the New England Patriots. And I'm, I'm curious, especially with your first season being in 2018 with the organization, um, from, from obviously the, the tough loss, I'm curious from, from a mental side or a sports psychology side, um, how you sort of tried to, I, I guess, in, in the best way possible, spin that into a positive or you, you could even make it in general just a general loss like how do you try to spin that into a positive rather than you know sticking with the negative yeah I mean it's always hard to have a losing season and you know when we don't meet our own expectations 
Um, but it's also part of sport. And it's almost helpful that it is a team sport because it's always a um, collective outcome. And so it's, it's acknowledging what happened and figuring out how to learn and grow from that. And so there were very concrete things that the team knew we could work on. And, you know, there were also a lot of injuries and, you know, all you can do from that is heal and you can't fast forward that process. So, um, so it's also just kind of looking reality in the face and knowing that you will have a fresh start at some point and being patient for that. But, um, but it's, you know, emotionally, it, it, you kind of have to feel that disappointment first. Mm -hmm. um, and then that eventually manifests into motivation. That makes sense. And and how does some of those games, like when, when you get, when you meet with different players, maybe like, especially if a player is, is looked at um, as, as one to have like, I guess not help the loss, but there is times where the media points out a player or points out a play and, and blames it on that player or, or situations like that. And I, I'm curious, like from, from the next week after, after that game, uh, what sort of process do you try to go with some of those players if they, if they didn't play well, or if the, the loss hurt a little bit more than others to try and not get in their own head and, and beat up themselves? Well, at this level, all of the athletes are perfectionists. So it's very common for them to be self-critical and, you know, focus on maybe that one bad play when all the other plays could have been fantastic. So, um, you know, it's kind of just helping to rationalize irrational thoughts mm -hmm. and dispute maybe um, the, the negative and overgeneralizing. So they think they had a terrible game, but really it was maybe a rough first quarter you can't let that categorize your entire outing that day. Um, and maybe you did have a bad game, but does that define you as an athlete? Does that mean mm -hmm. you can't have an awesome game the next time? So kind of just putting it into perspective and helping athletes reframe how they view their performance, um, not letting social media be the voice of um of the or the critics of their performance um you know it's funny because athletes it's almost impossible not to look at it even though that seems like it would be an easy solution but um but the ones that have a hard time will focus maybe on a negative comment when there are you know a hundred positive comments so you know it's also just helping to um to stick to your your true self and what you're capable of, and then go back to basics. And if, if a player does come to you and, and are kind of in their head about some of those comments, or if one of the talk shows said something, I'm, I'm curious how you try and help them reframe that and, and, and not allow it to impact just their regular life, but also their play as well. Yeah. Well, sometimes, um, you know, when the media doesn't know all of the facts or all of the details, they will fill in the blanks themselves, mm -hmm. which is almost fun to uh, review with a player because we can laugh at, you know, what they think is going on um, when that's not necessarily the case. And that's, that's easier than to not, not let that get to you. Um, and, you know, if it's, if it's accurate, if the player maybe didn't do so hot, then, um, 
they almost would expect nothing less. At this point, they've been exposed to en enough opinions and judgments on themselves that it doesn't take them by surprise. Um, but again, it's just kind of going back to going back to business and why are you here? What are you here to accomplish? And going back to that person's individual goals and then the collective goals of the team. And, you know, especially with, you know, after a bad game, you mentioned like trying not to allow the, it to, you know, put themselves down or you try to help them reframe it afterwards. And I, I feel like in athletes that I've talked to in the past, they always mention that it's tough to not allow their play on the field impact them at home and to leave work on the field and, you know, have home be home. And I'm, I'm curious, especially with, with some of these bigger games too, where, you know, it's the season just stops out of nowhere and you don't expect it. Like, how do you, how, how, what, what are those conversations like after the season to try and help them not bring that frustration home and, and use it as motivation, I guess, for the next season? The abruptness of the end of a season is one of the hardest things. It's hard for me um, because, you know, each year the team is different. And so it, it can, especially when you're favored to win and you expect to win. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, the next day you're turning in your equipment. Um, so it, I think that it, again, it's, um, it's allowing space to kind of mourn the losses. Um, but limiting that, I, I think that while a positive mindset is always helpful, I think a realistic mindset is more of a buy-in sometimes for athletes. Um, because it's not always sunshine and rainbows and there isn't always a silver lining. There is always something to learn from. And that's kind of where I go back to, um, you know, okay, it didn't, it didn't go your way this time. What can we take away from this? Because there's always something that you can take with you, whether it's, you know, into the next game, um, into the off season, um, into retirement. And so um, it's interesting because some players do a good job of not taking the emotions of um, of a game or of a season home others it's really hard to separate and and either way um you know it's just different personalities but to a point you know people ask me that too about my job like how do I not take things home with me I think it's unrealistic to think that you wouldn't take anything home with you I I think you almost wouldn't be as invested as you should be um, in what you do. Having said that, you also have to be able to disconnect and recharge and reset. Um, and so finding that balance based on that individual is, is the key and what works for them in terms of like, what do you need right now? Do you need space or do you need to be around your family and not think about football for a little while? Um, and then figuring out ways that they can gain that mental rest, even if it's active. And, you know, I, I I completely agree with what you said. It's not always sunshine and roses. And, and there are even times where, like, I'm struggling. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings is everything happens for a reason or, you know, everything's happening for me, not to me. 
But there's times where that's tough to believe in, in different moments. Or may, maybe that doesn't even help. Like you said, maybe some space, maybe some family time is the best for that. And, you know, I, I think, too, um, with, with with different situations that, you know, happen throughout a season, you know, you brought up injuries. You know, it, it's it's been interesting to see sort of how the Rams were able to overcome injuries during the 2022 season and, and you know, how they were able to, you know, use it as motivation for this past season. But, you know, from, from your experience during the 2022 season where, you know, it was after the year where they won the Super Bowl and, you know, obviously, you know, Matthew, Matthew Stafford went down, uh, Cooper Cup dealt with some injuries um, with those types of injuries. Uh, you know, obviously it's not always easy to look at it in a positive light, but how do you try and, do that the best way and, and really help them work on their mental while they're also trying to like heal their physical as well. Yeah. Injuries. Um, I would say coping with injury is a close second in terms of what I see the most only to anxiety. Um, and there's often an overlap there depending on the severity of the injury, you know, how long somebody's going to be out and you know, where we are in the season, um, it will impact the player, you know, in various ways. And the biggest tool that I think I use with that is is staying in the present because really you can it's easy to dwell on what happened and what you're missing and maybe what you could have done differently to avoid that injury. Um, and then, you know, you can be thinking about the future of like, um, all right, if I'm back here, then, um, you know, I can start running again on this day and they kind of work backwards. The problem is with athletes at this level is that, um, you know, the, the training staff tells them they have six weeks recovery. Well, they hear four because they are so competitive that they want to win at rehab and they want to, um, you know, be the best in terms of healing and heal the fastest when really that's just, it's just unrealistic. You know, you, right. you don't have that much control over your, um, your body. You can definitely maybe speed it up a little bit with um, some imagery work. And like you said, working on the mental game while you're out, that's a big, a big tool and really can do a lot of good. Um, you can get those mental reps in and um, feel like you're doing something when your body can't do much, um, you know, and then combining that with film and and then anticipating, you know, the return to play. And how can I use this? Um, how can I sharpen this in my mind? I think a lot of people there's a misconception with imagery. Um, people think it's just visualization. But the key to imagery is actually feeling what you're visualizing. So feeling it in your body, feeling everything in your surroundings with all of your senses. And that's what gets it very vivid and as close to the real thing as possible. And that's really what has, has the biggest effect on players who are out. But, um, but time can move so slowly during that healing period um, that, you know, it's really important to celebrate the small wins and, um, you know, we reflect on the progress at the end of a week or because from day to day, sometimes, you know, players can feel like there's, there's not much difference and they're not making any progress. So focusing on, um, what they can do 
you know, if they can stand up, stand on a knee when the week before they couldn't put any weight on it, hey, that's progress. Right. And I, I bet, especially when, when there are some of those setbacks, like, I, I mean, that, that, that must, you know, put them into a little bit of like a, a mental spin of, of, you know, why is this happening to me? You know what I mean? Like, what could I have done differently? Um, but I, I think, you know, imagery, I, I hadn't actually thought about that with, especially with injuries, but you know, that's something that I, th- I think is super powerful, wh- whether you are injured or whether you're playing as well. And, you know, especially, you know, at the beginning of the season, Every single NFL team's goal is to, you know, get to the Super Bowl and hoist up that trophy. And I, I'm curious if with any players or if any players have expressed that they've done this to you of, of you know, visualizing or, or using imagery to uh, motivate them to get to that pinnacle of host, hoisting up the trophy. Because uh, for, for myself, I use it for my own type of goals. But I, I, I think, you know, like you mentioned, there is imagining or, or visualizing you holding up that trophy. But what's that feeling like? Like, how how, how do you what's that gratification feel like? Do you see, uh, you know, the confetti coming down? You know, what does it feel like? Just different stuff like that. So I'm curious if any players have brought that up to you. Yeah, um, I think that players definitely, you know, want to be hoisting that trophy. Um, I think it's more in the idea of being a world champion, the idea of kind of reaching the pinnacle, more in a general sense, which is a great long-term goal. But what we do then is we back up and break that down into as small mini goals as possible. and you know, achievable goals, maybe for that practice for that week, um, you know, not just physical goals, but mental goals as well. And that's, you know, still part of that journey to, mm-hmm. you know, the quest for a Super Bowl win. Um, I, I will let you in on um, a little tidbit from our last Super Bowl. Um, so Von Miller was on our team at the time he had been um, traded over and, uh, and when he was, uh, with the Patriots, he had before one of their Super Bowls, uh, or sorry, not the Patriots with the Broncos, um, had put the Lombardi, um, during a team meeting, like before the Super Bowl as like motivation, like a visual motivation, the actual trophy mm-hmm. um so before our super bowl a couple years ago um we had a team meeting and he came in and put the lombardi down on the table and it just like everybody went wild it was like there is this palpable tangible symbol of what everybody wants and why we're here and um and so that i think was a great example of kind of what you're talking about and reminding everybody like here we are week you know, 18 and it's such a long season. And um, especially for rookies who are used to a much shorter collegiate season. Um, But then it's like, you see that and it's so remindful of like, okay, this is why. And it gives a new energy. That makes sense. I I bet it also like, I I bet Sean McFay loved that because like it, it gives more motivation for guys to put in that extra work. Why not? And not question why are we doing this extra rep because of that? 
That's the reason. And, you know, I, I saw a video of um, Aaron Donald uh, doing like a hype up speech uh, or a pep talk to himself before the Super Bowl. And I, I think it's very interesting to see sort of the pregame routines that guys not only have just in a regular season game, but especially in those bigger games. And, you know, we've even seen, you know, college players like J.J. McCarthy, you know, meditating before the game. And I, I'm curious how much of your work goes into helping those guys define those routines. You know, I, I bet obviously throughout high school, college and and just, you know, in the beginning of their career, like they, they have stuff that's helped them. But um, is there any suggestions that you give kind of like the positive affirmations to help them get into that positive mind state? Yeah, that's a big part of what I do. Um, there is a lot of continuity when they come in from what's worked for them in the past. Um, kind of like we were talking about before, it's it's helping with the transition to this much bigger stage and the transition even to this being a job, um, you know, and, and just the circumstances being different in that sense. Um, some players have never left their state before, you know, coming out here. Um, so with all of that, you know, helping them incorporate these new, these new factors into maybe a pre-existing routine, um, you know, developing relationships with coaches. So sometimes I'm working on players with um, how to best communicate with a coach um, and vice versa. So it's, it's kind of, adjusting to um, the unique circumstances, not only of the NFL, but of each week and each, you know, opponent. Um, I often make a point to remind people not to forget their identity, not just as a football player, but really looking at themselves. And sometimes real players were really looking at themselves in this way for the first time, because all they've ever talked about is football. All they've ever thought about, all they're ever asked about is football. And so um, I will often, well, at the beginning of the season with the rookies, I always do one of my favorite activities called Identity Pie, where I have them draw a circle that's the pie and basically ask them rapid fire questions about themselves. Um, and they don't have much time to answer, uh, but they just have to jot down something. And the pie has like a bottom crust and a top crust. And so the questions for the bottom crust are about um, maybe family, friends, faith. Um, and it would just be like one word answers or a short phrase answer, but those are the foundation of who you are. So that's the bottom crust. And then the top crust questions are more about how you present yourself in the world. Um, how do you think people perceive you? What impressions do you want to give? Um, kind of those external factors. And then the, the real um, important ingredients are in the middle of the pie. And that's you know, I ask them about things about themselves that they may have never thought about. And that can be things as basic as, you know, what's your favorite place to travel? What's your favorite color? You know, who's your favorite band? Um, just all things that would contribute to their identity. Um, what would you be doing if you weren't playing football? That's always a good one. Um, and it just gets them to think about themselves as a whole. And that contributes to their why. And that's the other thing we spend a good amount of time on is, you know, what is your why? And are you still playing for it? 
now that it is a business, now that you might be supporting family members back home, you know, has your why changed? I've had players um, maybe who are struggling with that or who have feel like they might be losing the love of the game. Just go out to the field and I'll tell them just when nobody's around, just go out, just sit, sit on the field and just be and just look around and try to connect, reconnect with what caused you to fall in love with the game to begin with. And that can be really helpful in just bringing someone back to um, who they are and why why they play and what what motivates them and what should be motivating them. Yeah, that's such an important subject. Almost every single, whether it's a football player, or baseball player, any athlete that I've talked to, that is the number one thing that they've struggled with. And that's the number one advice that that they give to younger athletes. And I think it's amazing that you do that, especially with the rookies, because uh, with the identity piece, they've been told that they're the best in their town or the best in their college or whatever throughout their life. And then once it's all gone, you know, who am I after that? What value do I bring? And, and, you know, so much of that is tied to their ego as well. And, you know, I, I think, I think especially with the piece as well of, of finding that love again in the game, you know, be, being able, and that definitely changes the play. It definitely changes uh, the, the motivation that they have to put in the work each and every single day to be the best of themselves. And, and I think, especially with that identity piece, uh, when guys are starting to get to that place where they maybe want to retire. Uh, how how do you maybe ramp up that talk a little bit more so then they feel as prepared as possible when when they do ultimately retire? Yeah, that's always an interesting um, series of conversations, and and some guys are kind of on the fence sometimes, it, and it's dependent on how that season ends up and um, how their body's doing. So we just kind of explore all of the potential outcomes and um, where their heart is versus mm -hmm. their head. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some guys at that point have families. Um, some guys are young, but their bodies just aren't doing what they need them to do, maybe due to past injury um, and and they can't keep up with it anymore. So it's also just preparing for that because even if they are completely ready, it's still going to feel like a loss. And so preparing them for that and just the complete change of lifestyle that, you know, it will be once they are done with the league. Um, and what will they do with that time? That's a big thing too, because um, that's where a lot of athletes who have really only connected with that identity as a player can struggle because they're left with, who am I? What do I do now? What am I even good at? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, those are kind of some of the, the questions we look at and explore um, in terms of immediate future. That makes sense. And, you know, you brought up reflection a little bit earlier, and I I'm curious, especially when there was that Super Bowl win in 2021, one thing that I found really cool was Matthew Stafford's reaction. You just saw him go down to his knees and get really choked up. Even the moment got me choked up. And then you see Sean McFay walk over and, you know, they're obviously hugging and stuff. But how do you, after something a big win is that for guys who have never won before, 
try and help them reflect on on how much they've grown throughout that season or, or how proud they should be of themselves because you know I, I feel like that that always isn't isn't remembered like there's the accolades that come with it there's the there's the excitement and feeling and, and life achievement that comes with it but I'm curious how reflection plays a factor in it yeah I mean I think for somebody like Matthew who was coming from Detroit and his story there and the adversity that he faced, to come here and just have that happen. It's just, um, it's just such an incredible story with a, I don't want to say happy ending because it's not quite done yet, but um, I think it's easier to reflect and really appreciate with someone who does, who had a longer history for some of the new guys. Um, I, I will see a little bit of, um, ego and arrogance come in um, with them at the start of the next season or expecting to just get there again. But if I learned anything from being at two Super Bowls, it's, it is so hard to make it to the Super Bowl. It is so incredibly hard. And even if you win, and even if you have most of the same players back, it is a totally new season. There, there really shouldn't be any favorites. And anything can happen. And the unexpected always happens. And so it really is an accomplishment that um, that's when something I try to drive home is how unusual it is. It really um, is potentially a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, and, you know, each year the team is going to be a bit different, you know, especially after a Super Bowl when a lot of other teams want our coaches, you know, want, there's a lot of movement. And so you come back and it's, um, you really are starting fresh. So it's, again, putting things in perspective, um, not letting guys kind of sit back on their haunches and, and making them work just as hard as they would, um, you know, whether or not we won a Super Bowl. So I think that um, those are some of the big things. And and then also being remindful that, you know, that's not all that matters in, in life. Right. And I, I think that's important as well. You know, it ties back into the identity aspect, the ego, too. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious from from your viewpoint, looking at those two Super Bowls, what differences did you see with just the energy of the team? not looking at talent whatsoever, but like, I'm curious just what differences you noticed and, and maybe, maybe what ultimately helped them get to that finish line rather than, you know, what happened to your first Super Bowl. I'm really glad. You, I'm really glad you asked that because I have a very clear answer to that. And there was a, a very um, visible and palpable difference between those two Super Bowls. The first one, um, as we went along, it was just so exciting. There was so much energy. And when we made it to the Super Bowl, I remember that, you know, those weeks and just like going into our break room and it was like a party. It was people were just on such a high that we made it to the Super Bowl. And then a few years afterwards, when we went again, it was a totally different vibe um, when we got to that point not much changed. There wasn't as big of a difference in the building. It was almost like people were afraid to treat it any differently. And 
in that sense, everybody just kind of kept their heads down, kept grinding, knew we had a job to do and knew we weren't finished. Because there was almost a sense the first time that like we won the Super Bowl. And um, and I think that was a good wake up call for the next time when it was like, hey, we've got a job to do that we are very capable of getting done. So let's do this. And it was all business. I think you see that a lot, even this this past year with the Ravens dancing in the locker room and the Andy Reid and the Chiefs just being like, all right, let's go to the next game. I I think that does ultimately play a factor in the mindset uh, of the guys going into those different big games. But the last thing that I have for you is, you know, Sean McVay has, has been the head coach since you've been with the organization. And, you know, I saw a video of him and Cooper Cup on the sideline this past year, and Cooper was upset about a play that he made. And it was really cool to see sort of Sean positively uh, help him get out of his own head. And and I'm curious from your experience, you know, with him as a head coach over, you know, the, the last few years that you've been with the organization, how have you seen him evolve as a coach and start to implement some of, of uh, I, I guess, the mental. Sean's a great guy. I think he is such a unique and incredible coach. He really prioritizes um, connecting with the players. He genuinely loves his players and and that shines through in his coaching style, um, through adversity. I think he's really settled into the position over the years. Um, he's very familiar with what the role itself feels like. Um, he's been through, you know, the the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And um, I think his perspective has even changed over the years to where. You know, in the beginning, it was all about, you know, getting to a Super Bowl. Um, and I think adversity maybe would rattle not even just him, but everybody, because we were new, still new to L.A. Um, and now he just uh, approaches things with um, a greater confidence and is more unflappable and and really has allowed himself to embrace the whole person when it comes to um, being there for his players. He um, he wants to know if players are struggling, um, what he can do, how he can help them, um, even if it's totally unrelated to football. Um, and if it's appropriate and if, um, you know, the player gives me permission, um, then I will – I will fill him in on some stuff. And, um, you know, if a player, there's been instances where I remember there was a time when we had a player who um, had a, a sick relative, um, a sick immediate family member who was very, very ill. And during the week was just off. I mean, was not playing well. And it got to the point where the coaches were talking about cutting him. And and they had no idea this was going on. And so finally, I ended up sharing this with the player and saying, hey, um, if you're OK with it, I think we should I think we should let the coaches in on this so that they know you're not just playing badly. You got a lot of stuff going on. And he was OK with that. And so um, and so that's what we did. And and I remember Sean, you know, being so grateful to have heard that, that, gee, you know, we just thought he wasn't playing up to standard anymore. And, um, but that could be a real game changer. And so I'm, I'm so grateful to have him as our head coach and 
to have such a collaborative relationship with him and that he does truly care about people, not just players, not just the game. Um, but he he does want to be involved as much as he can and and just a great guy. That's amazing to hear. And, you know, I think a lot of people forget about those factors, you know, where, where they are, you know, on the team side or as, or as well as, you know, in the media too. So I, I think it's always, it's always very important to, you know, look at all those different factors with, with anything in life. So I really appreciate you taking the time today, Carrie, and and for, for sharing your insight and as well as, you know, be, being able to, shed some light on some of the mental aspects of the Super Bowl and uh, I and also just like being a sports psychologist in the NFL and you know I think all the amazing things that you are doing you, you know not only with the Rams but you know with, with your stuff on the side uh, with, with sports psych I, I think it really helps people like myself as, as well as just other sports fans learn more about those mental sides uh, of, of sports and, and just life in general so if you want to check out more of what Dr. Carey is doing you can check her out over on Instagram at sports psych by Dr. H and LinkedIn under the same exact handle sports psych by Dr. H. Did I miss anything? Is there anything else that you want to promote or any any other way that people can check out the amazing things that you're doing? Um, I think those are the big ones. I, I a couple of years ago opened a sports psych facility in our local community um, just because I think that Finally, you know, sports psych is being incorporated at the professional and even collegiate level when it never used to be. But we still there's such a need at the younger levels and, you know, the high school level, even youth sports to where I think a lot of bad habits can be addressed earlier on. Athletes can learn a lot of tools and coping skills earlier on so that they don't become um you know, a negative later on or a struggle later on. So I think any ways that people can can help athletes at that level um, and provide them with resources um, would be great. And if anyone needs ideas, the website for that facility is sportpsychologywlv.com. Perfect. I'll put that on the description, but thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope that you did enjoy my conversation with Dr. Hastings and got a little bit more insight on those mental aspects of playing in the Super Bowl. And you were able to now look at this game in a different light. That's honestly my goal of each and every single episode is to really help you change your perspective on how you view sports as well as you how you view these different athletes. Because I think a lot of times people forget these guys are human beings as well. You know, they look bigger than bigger than humans you know on tv in the media the amount that they get paid but at the end of the day they're just like you and i where they have to clock into a job and go home and, and deal with their normal life pay the bills you know so i feel like it's really interesting to hear dr hastings insights on how these players really prepare for these big games like in the nfl playoffs or in the super bowl as well as her thoughts on how they deal with injuries too because that's a big part of not only just sports but especially football with how physical it is and you hear all the time with multiple injuries how it can really impact a guy's mental as well as you know his physical just his and how he goes about his daily life so I hope that you did enjoy this. And if you want to hear more episodes just like this one where I focus on the mental aspects of sports, I have tons of other great episodes over on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. I had the opportunity I had the opportunity to speak with Marcelo Meyer, who's the top prospect for the Red Sox, Alec Manoa, 
also JJ Reddick, Mel Kuyper Jr., many other people. So make sure to check out those episodes over there. You can also follow Iggy's Sports Talk over on Instagram. I'll post clips not only from the podcast, but also just guys talking about mental health and sports from different publications. And I'll also be updating you guys on everything that's happening regarding the podcast. So make sure to follow the account over there. And I hope that you enjoy the Super Bowl and your team who you're rooting for wins. You know, I'm going to be rooting for the 49ers. Uh, I think it would be amazing to see Brock Purdy, the Mr. Irrelevant, lead them to a Super Bowl. But I think it would also be cool to see Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey win back to back and ultimately continue their amazing dynasty that they have going on right now. But I greatly appreciate everybody tuning in. I'll see you and talk to you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.